Well, today we're going to talk about uh, one of my favorite topics. I, I, I can't get enough of this topic. Um, I have a friend visiting, and uh, he had a great saying. I'll probably butcher it, but it was something to the effect of, uh, when we die, we'll all go to the heaven, but uh, it won't be the end of the world. <laughs> so, let's go to Revelation chapter 21. And let's talk about the new earth. Now, it's interesting that as we ponder the new earth, it taught, in terms of what we are given as a culture, let's say, as a culture about where we go when we die, it's almost always talked about as heaven. Uh, and it's more of a mythology, really, than it is a biblical picture. Uh, we're always talked about go to heaven. And when you get to heaven, who do you meet? Saint Pedro. You say Saint Peter, yeah, and he's standing in front of pearly gates, and then you uh, walk the streets of gold. Yes, okay, and um, all this is in heaven, right? Okay. Well, there's a there's an element of truth in all those things, but really, it's a really wrong picture for a lot of th- reasons. Uh, one of my favorite stories about this is uh, this this guy really wealthy and he um, started begging God I want to take my wealth to heaven with me I want to be the one guy that can take it with me and so he prayed and prayed and prayed and just struggled with God and finally God said okay what do you want I want to take my gold with me okay so he gets to the pearly gates he's got this big bag and Peter says what you got in the bag and he says God gave me permission to bring this and he said, well, I've never seen this before. Let me see what's in there. And he opened up and he says, what do you want to bring pavement for? <laughs> was a... Well, we're actually going to find out that even that story is a miss. So we're going to look at the new earth. Chapter 21 of Revelation. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away had passed away. Let's look at passed away for a minute. Probably the most um, blatant uh, chap of passage I know about passing away is in 2 Peter. Let's flip over to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 10. But the day of the Lord, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved... What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Now this is pretty uh, startling, really. The heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt. Does anybody know what elements are? And th- he doesn't necessarily mean, mean the same thing we think of here, in elements, but let's say he does. What are elements? Hydrogen, helium, carbon. Yeah, it's like... The stuff everything's made out of, and it melts away. And you've got to ask yourself, well, what, what are the new building blocks? A very interesting question, don't you think? Legos, my, son, my grandson Brady would say. Um, so we, we, have these, uh, we have this picture that what we know now is going to be completely diminished and replaced with something new. So when we hear new, I'm making a new heaven and a new earth, it's certainly the possibility it's brand new. Uh, There is a strong uh, vein of thought that says that the words about uh, creating a new heaven and a new earth are actually... Uh, the root words and so forth are about recreating. So it could be that what we're talking about here is just like the potter's clay. Perhaps it's possible that as opposed to brand new building blocks, uh, it may be that you just take the, the clay 
and just melt it back down and remake a whole new thing. Whatever it is, the picture is very clear. It's not going to be like it is now. Now, it's very interesting here. There's two things that are made new in verse 1. What are they? A new heaven and a new earth. We're going to learn quite a bit about the new earth, although relative to what we know about our earth, what we learn about this earth is very, very uh, tiny. But we're told basically nothing about the new heaven. Uh, We're told that uh, the sun and the moon are not necessary. We're not really even told whether there is a sun and the moon, just that there is a new heaven. Uh, So that's just kind of left to... To, uh, for us to find out. So you're saying New Jerusalem is new heaven? No. Okay. No, I'm just saying it says in verse 1 there's a new heaven. Mm-hmm. It doesn't... I'm just saying as we go through the passage, I can't find any description of what that is, what the new heaven is. Now, we know what... We, we uh, see space exploration and shows about space, and most of what, what there is about space and the cosmos is speculation on our part because it's so big and so expansive. And here we are with a brand new heaven. We're told nothing about it. I, that's kind of exciting to me because I think that's, that's going to be something that will be a, a probably an endless adventure to find out what this new heaven is about. So that's about all we know about the new heaven, that there is one. But we are going to learn a little bit about the new earth. Also, there was no more sea. Now this might be very... Uh, sad to some people because a lot of people love the ocean. Um, The sea, however, or the ocean in the Bible is always a picture of something bad. What is it a picture of? Chaos. Chaos, Turmoil. Destruction. Unpredictability. So I don't think this is saying that there's no more water. As a matter of fact, I know it's not saying that because we're going to encounter a river. And it is possible that the river flows down and then just evaporates and then recycles. If there's no sun we wouldn't have waves. Well, yeah. Well, we don't, we're not really told there's no sun or moon. We're told there's no need of a sun or moon. Okay? So, yeah. In Jewish thought, they say that the sea represents the nations. You know, it says, why did the nations rage? Kind of like the sea. Yeah. And so there's correlation between the two. Okay. Yeah, the nations represent the sea. And we're going to see the nations a lot in this. Okay, we're going to see the nations a lot. So it could well be that there's tons of water. It's just not chaotic. Okay, so if you're a huge water lover, don't despair. <laughs> there may well be water and fish and all sorts of things. What there's not going to be is uh, tsunamis. Okay, and chaos. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, this verse 2. Coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Okay, so John is writing this, and he sees the New Jerusalem, and what's 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 the New Jerusalem? What's happening here? It's coming down out of heaven. It's coming down out of heaven. So what does that tell us? It's tall. Pre-built. Prefab. Anybody a fan of prefab? What else? It's not heaven. Yeah, it's coming down out of heaven. It was somewhere. It, it may be if we went to heaven today, you could say, hey, show me where they're constructing the new Jerusalem. It may be behind a curtain, and they say, nope, can't see it. Surprise. I, I don't know. It could be that there's somewhere else. Yeah, that's right. It's possible. Okay. All we know is it's already built and it's coming down. What is it? First heaven's passed away. First heaven's passed away. Yeah, first heaven's passed away. It's the Lamb's bride. And it's the Lamb's bride. Now that's very interesting, isn't it? Because what do we think of as the bride of Christ? The church. Okay? And we see um, in verse 2 it says, as a bride. So this, this verse 2 here doesn't necessarily mean that the city is the bride. But as a bride, you know, that's adorned and walking down. But let's look at verse... Huh? Yeah, verse 9 says it outrightly. Yes. Let's look at verse 9. Um, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues 
came to me and talked to me saying... Now, it's very interesting that he says, oh, I've seen this guy before. He was one of the plague guys. And now he's going to give me a tour of the New Jerusalem. That is an interesting job description, right? I'm the angel that plagues the earth and I have the New Jerusalem. So he says, come and I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife... And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem. Now, some very interesting things associated with this. Um, let's look also in 22.17. Why did I write 22.17 down? Oh, yeah. And the spirit and the bride say, Come. Which is interesting. So, who is who's 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 the bride in this in this passage? And the spirit and the bride say, "Come, and let him who thirst come." So we see bride actually three times in this passage. Let's go back and look at this Ephesians five thirty two. Sorry, that twenty two seventeen. And the spirit and the bride say, "Come." So here the we've got the bride coming down from heaven. And then we've got a bride speaking and saying, come. So it's, it's interesting. That's three applications of bride. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. And let's just look at uh, this verse 32. Let's start in 30. For we are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife... The two shall become one flesh. This is a quote of Genesis. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So, what we usually take from this is that uh, Jesus, that a husband and wife becoming one flesh, is a symbol of Jesus and the church becoming one. So, very interesting thoughts. Let's hold off on, on talking about that until we, until we discuss another concept that's very interesting in this. So hold that for a minute. Bride. So we've got to come back and say what the bride of, bride of Christ and the new Jerusalem. Let's look at uh, back to uh, 21 in, uh, he, in um, Revelation. Verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold... The tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And this is the culmination of human history. This is it. This is, this is where the end is. And a new beginning starts. And the new beginning is with God doing what? With heaven doing what? Coming to earth. See, this is really cool, isn't it? We tend to get this heaven mythology as the end of human existence as we go to heaven. That's just a way station. The end of this real human history time period, I would argue, is heaven comes to earth. And it's not just us dwelling with God, as cool as that is. It's the unthinkable that God is dwelling with us. It's really neat. I, I don't, I don't, it gives me, I'm getting goosebumps right now just thinking about it. So cool. God comes to earth to dwell with us. He's already done it once. He just stayed for a little while. Uh, he offered us some amazing things that have changed all of the cosmos, all the history. This next time is going to be a complete fulfillment. Now, how cool is that? Verse 5, Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. He said to me, Write, these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. I will be his God. He will be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. I take this as a kind of an encapsulation of the whole kind of message, the whole message of history. Um, the whole message of history is it ends here. 
a new, there's this a new beginning. I am the God of beginnings and ends. Everything starts with me, everything ends with me. I started this and I'm starting something new. And the, in the spectrum here, the beginning and the end of what your opportunity is, you who are supposed to, according to Revelation, very simple, right? Do three things, which is read, understand, hear, do. Yeah, read, hear, do. That's what we're supposed to do. That's the whole point of Revelation. Very simple. Okay. You people, here's the, here, here, here's the spectrum of what can happen to you, humanity. On the positive end, you can be an overcomer. And overcomers inherit everything. This, this is what I want you to be. I shall be to you a father. You shall be to me a son. That is a ancient, uh, an ancient um, reward of inheritance for one who's been faithful in the kingdom. Or you can be, live your own life, your own way, for your own passions, and that deserves lake of fire. That, that's, the, that's the end of the spectrum. Verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, Having the glory of God, her light was a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with twelve gates. You notice what he's wow, he's referring to this city? She. Interesting, right? Bride. And twelve angels at the gates, and names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. This is as close as we get to Peter standing at the gate. Uh, he will have his name by a gate. Now... You know, Revelation is very uh, allegorical. Uh, there are lots of images, and uh, the images can very well stand for something else that's real. Uh, don't believe there's anything here that's not real, but it could be that there really is their name by the gate. It could be something else. We'll talk about that here in a second. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. The city is laid out as a square, its length is as great as its breadth. He measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. 12,000 furlongs is about 1,500 miles. So you get this city, to just give you an idea, it's roughly Dallas to the west coast, something like that. Dallas to the you know, northern border of Canada, so Mississippi River to the west coast, something like that, and kind of Dallas to the you know, can't border a Canada, something like something along those lines that's a fifteen hundred mile square and fifteen hundred miles high. Now when you see an airplane fly over, how many miles up? About five. Uh, if you see a satellite go over, if it's a low level satellite, that might be about five hundred miles. So fifteen hundred miles is way up there. Yeah, there's no atmosphere for most of 1,500 miles on our earth. So we're starting to get a hint about what this new earth's really different. <laughs> As a matter of fact, it doesn't tell us the new earth is a ball. It could be. It could be a cube. Uh, it doesn't really tell us that the new earth revolves around anything. Because it didn't tell us what the heavens were like. You know, our cosmos is a clock. It's a clock with all the gears going around. And I don't know if you're a fan of the uh, uh, Bethlehem Star, Star of Bethlehem video. But he, he does a really great job, I think, of just showing how clock-like the universe is. And we get senses of that going through Revelation, that everything was, uh, you know, has its specific time. But we, we don't really know. He doesn't tell us if it's going to be that way or not. Uh, verse 17. Then he measured the wall 144 cubits. So the wall is like 250 feet thick. According to the measure of man, that is an angel. The construction of the wall was jasper. The city was pure gold, like clear glass. So here's the gold thing, but it's not gold like we think of it. Is a gold coin clear as glass? It's not, is it? Okay. So there's something translucent here with a gold hue. It's interesting to think what that is. Maybe some kind of new element. 
Don't know. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh crystallite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. Now, I, I think really there's only one reason God put that there. And that was so that geologists wouldn't be demoralized. <laughs> I don't think anybody else would care about any of that. Twenty. There, if we have time, we can talk a little bit about that too. Some real fascinating things about that. 21, the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Hence the pearly gates. Um, each one, an individual gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. So you're starting to get an image in your mind what this thing's like? It's probably wrong, right? Well, it was, it's, we can't really imagine this thing. I've just taken a lot of time spent in elevators. A lot of time in elevators. <laughs> you could have cars like the Jetsons. You know, uh, scientists say that we can only, um, these days, they'll change their mind. It's kind of like eggs, you know, they're bad for you one decade and they're good for you the next decade and that's why. Well, this, this latest uh, scientific group says that we can actually observe about 5% of the universe. 95% of it's unobservable. That's why they're doing all these particle accelerators and stuff looking for antimatter is what they call it. And they have all these ideas about wormholes and uh, particles that, you know, if you hit a particle here, some particle on the other side of the universe uh, resonates and flips around. And so it's really, even with what we know of our current universe and our current physics, it's really not, um, it's, it's really not inconceivable at all that you could just step through a wormhole and pop up in China. You know, that, that's, that's, uh, that's something that our, our own uh, thinkers are starting to think is possible in our own universe. So, you know, it may be we don't need cars like Jetsons. I don't know. It could be also you could have an angel, you know, come, come over here, guys. Can you take me over there? Yeah, heaven now is in the spirit realm. Yeah, heaven now is in the spirit realm. And the spirit realm, you know, is not physical. And, and you said antimatter, but there's dark matter, which is the matter that doesn't interact with our matter. And so, it, you know, when Stephen saw heaven, it was just right there, just opened up. Right. So, um, is it going to be physical? Is it going to be spiritual? I mean, it's. Paul says something very interesting in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, when we are resurrected, we will have a spiritual body. Now, in our current world, spiritual and body are two, you know, kind of separate things. But this is a spiritual body. It's something that's both. And Jesus had, you know, some interesting thing. He said, feel my nail prints, right? And they went and felt his nail prints. Did anybody say, my hand went through, my finger went through your hand? No, they felt his nail prints, right? And he said, cook me some food. And he ate it. Did they say, ah, it plopped down on the beach? No, he, he ate it, right? And he was making a point, right? I'm, I'm not a ghost. And then he walked through a wall. <laughs> Spiritual body. And it's really interesting. Verse 22, I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. So now let's, let's uh, just stop for a minute. We've got some amazing, cool stuff to do, so I don't want to get bogged down. But I just want to look at a couple other verses regarding temple and go back to this bride idea for a minute. Uh, look at 3.12. We just got through reading there's no temple in it, but actually there is a temple. What is the temple? Jesus is the temple. So... We, we went through this Revelation um, 2 and 3 in the overcomers. And just as a reminder, an overcomer is a conqueror. In uh, chapter 3, the last letter to the churches, so these letters are all to churches, the last letter to the churches is the church of Laodicea. And Jesus says, if you overcome, in every one of the letters he says, if you overcome, I'll give you this. And in the last one he says, if you overcome, as I overcame. So Jesus is an overcomer. So overcomer cannot mean believing in Jesus as your Savior and 
I mean, that's the starting place for overcoming for us. But Jesus overcame, and He overcame temptation. He overcame the temptation not to do the will of His Father. And, as a re- and He learned obedience even to death on a cross. And because of that, He was lifted up His name above every name. He's an overcomer, the very first one. And He's inviting us to go down that road. And it's a reward to be an over- overcomer. So He says in... Um, 3.12, he says, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. So, if you're an overcomer, we saw just a second ago that to the overcomer will inherit all things, he says, in the new earth. And this is even, even in the new earth he's talking about. And then uh, the, the other end of this is if you're uh, immoral, etc., you have the lake of fire waiting for you. So he, he has this, he has this uh, dichotomy here. And here he's saying, if you overcome, I'll make you a pillar in the temple of my God. But he said there's no more temple. There's just Jesus is the temple. So let's look at um, 7.15. And 7.15... He says, therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. So what's going on? Well, if we look at this uh, word temple and the way it's used in, in uh, earlier in the Scripture, it's very interesting. Look at John 2.20, if you would. John 2.20. And I think this is starting to give us a clue of what's going on with there's no temple, the temple's Jesus. We're a pillar in the temple and we'll serve in the throne in the temple. What's going on? John 2, chapter uh, 2, verse 20. Let's start with 19. Well, let's start with 18. So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. The Jew says, It's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you'll raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple, of his body. I I think this is a clue. As Jesus is standing there right in this Solomonic temple, and he says, Destroy this temple, and I'll build it back in three days. This guy said, this took 46 years to build. This Herod the Great built this. You're a carp. You mean, you're a stone guy, but you're going to build this in 43 days? He was talking about his body. Let's also look at um, Acts 7, verse 48. Acts 7, verse 48. Acts 7, verse 48, However, the Most High does not dwell in temples with, made with hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, my earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me? Of course, the New Jerusalem, not necessarily built with hands. So, And then let's look at one, uh, two other things. Uh, let's look at 1 Corinthians three sixteen. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. Do you not know you're the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Very chastising verse. (laughs) So we are the temple of God. Let's look at Ephesians 2. Verse 21. Let's start with 19. Now therefore you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but Ephesians 2, 19. Now therefore you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Does that sound familiar? 
Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So, you know, as, I, as I've emphasized throughout this prophetic series, um, the big point's real clear. The minor points, uh, we need to hold with a hope in hand, have models, seek understanding, but uh, there's more we don't know than what we do know. But the picture I begin to get from this of there's a, a no temple, there's just Jesus, but we're a pillar in the temple. The throne is in the temple. Jesus is the temple. And he said that standing in the temple. And then you have the building with foundations and it's us. Somehow, it seems to me like there's some mysterious union between buildings and people here. Um, somehow, maybe Peter really is at one of the pearly gates. But maybe he's actually part of the gate. Uh, you know, how, I, I don't even know how this would work. You know, it's a really fascinating picture, don't you think? Uh, have you ever noticed that God is kind of paradoxical? Well, no, I haven't. He's totally paradoxical, not kind of paradoxical. And we get these somewhat paradoxical images. So, to what extent is this spiritual and what percent of is it physical when it's both somehow is going to be a brand new experience for us. I think we're getting a clue somehow, but this is going to be a new deal, right? He said it's new and he's given us some ideas, but somehow it seems that physical bodies and union with us is going to go together. So let's go back to bride. The church is the bride of Christ. We saw that in Ephesians. And the city is the bride. How could both of those be true? There seems to be some kind of a union here between city and people. And let's just think about it for a minute. What do we love about cities? What? The people in them. What else? Each has its own personality. Each has its own personality. Uh, we love cities because there's Walgreens, 24-hour Walgreens. Right? Why is there a 24-hour Walgreens? It could be a, yeah, because there's a bunch of people that need that, right? We, we, we like uh, cities because there's a Starbucks every uh, 200 feet. Why is there a Starbucks every 200 feet? There's a bunch of people and they like Starbucks, right? There, there's people serving each other everywhere. And, there, and there's energy in the city, right? There's people constantly, there's constant motion of people doing things for each other. It's really cool. Why do we hate the city? It's so busy. It's so congested. The lights never go off. There's people buying drugs at 3 o'clock in the morning and the lights and then I can't see the stars. Right? Well, in this new earth, I think the picture that we're getting is somehow there's going to be a merger between what we love about cities and maybe what we love about the country, which we'll see a little bit more uh, in a minute. It's really, all I'm doing is just throwing out words. I don't even know what they mean, really. Okay? But we're just being given a glimpse of this is something new and unbelievable. And I I just get real excited about this. Let's go back to Revelation 21. Anybody remember where I left off? 21, okay. 22, I saw no temple in it. The Lord God Almighty and Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. So, there may be a sun and a moon, there may not. But if if there is, it's not necessary. If I was going to guess, I would guess there is one, sun and moon. But the city, they're only for outside the city. That'd be my guess. It's only a guess. The Lamb is its light. Now we talked about this in a previous session. That the idea that the Lamb provides the same amount of light and energy. So the sun provides all the energy, right, in the world. If you want to, if it doesn't matter what kind of energy you're talking about, it emanates from the sun. Nuclear, you know, arguably would be an exception, but you know, hydroelectric power. How does that come from the sun? 
What? Hydroelectric, like a dam. You know, water running down a, a river. Gravity, gra- well, gra- gravity's the earth, though. How, but how, how, how does that impact by the sun? How did the water get up on the mountain in the first place? Yeah, it's a water cycle, which is, is the key to the water cycle is evaporation. And so the energy for the water cycle comes from the sun, the evaporative energy. How about, how about uh, oil, gas, burning oil or gas? Wood. It's a plant, right? And what do plants do? They absorb the sun energy. It's photosynthesis. What you do when you burn a plant is you're releasing the solar energy that was trapped there some, sometime in the past. Um, what, what else? Whale oil. You burn whale oil. The whales eat algae, and the algae is photosynthesis. It really doesn't matter what you're talking about. All the energy comes from the sun. And here we're told, we've got the sun in our presence. How about geothermal? Geothermal. Where does geothermal come from? Well, I mean, there's heat within the earth, too. Do you think it all came from the sun? Mm, good point. That might be an exception, too. So leave it up to a doctor to find it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the sun has to heat the earth, so geothermal actually is. Oh, the geologist is coming to my aid here. <laughs> so, if we had the sun in our midst, how would we feel about that? We wouldn't. We would. We'd feel energized. Yeah, all right. We'd be fried to a crisp. Yeah, we wouldn't feel for long, right? Uh, I think all the all the Earth has to do is move toward the sun just a tiny bit, and we all burn up because it's so hot. And here you got the sun in our midst. We talked about this a little bit earlier. This clearly signals something's different, right? Light, heat, energy all emanating from a person. And now we are enjoying it. So there's something really different going on here. And I put out the speculation perhaps this is the lake of fire. That, that there's these immoral and all so forth are actually on the new earth, not allowed in the city. But they're actually, as opposed to Jesus making something that's a lake of fire, perhaps it's a direct emanation, not just, you know, in him all things consist, as someone pointed out to me after that session. But perhaps the sun is actually emanating life and energy and wonderness for those who are redeemed and perhaps some uh, quite different experience for those who are not. Just a model, just an idea. Moses was on the mountain, the presence of God. He came down glowing, you know, and I think that he was being sustained through that presence and it somehow gave him sustenance while he wasn't eating for 40 days or drinking for 40 days. And oh, that's a little yeah. of a pre- preamble of that. And when he came down, they had to, they had to put a veil on his face because he was uh, hurting everybody's eyes, right? Yeah, okay. Maybe so. Good thought. So the lamb is its light. Uh, now... The bummer about that is that the energy business will not have the drilling of wells involved with it. What is that? Wormhole wormhole engineer. (laughs) But, you know, what what the oil business is today is a reclamation. We're in the organic recycling business. We've got old plants that are still, you know, uh, have already been mashed and cooked by the earth. So we're in the naturally occurring biofuel business. And we saved the whales, you know, we did save the whales, but now we're recycling all that stuff. But we won't need a recycling operation, I don't think, in this new earth. But I'm I'm confident there'll be plenty for us to do. Now my favorite verse is verse 24. This is the one that fires me up the most. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Now, if you look up nations, it's the Greek word ethnos. And it always means, it's always translated rather, nations or Gentiles. It's basically the same thing. Ethnos, as best I can understand, it means everybody but the Jews in the, uh, in the Scripture. So it could include the Jewish, Jews here, I don't know. But certainly we've already seen the Jewish uh, uh, manifestation in that the gates each have uh, the 12 tribes on there. So perhaps there's a, this is a particularly intended for the nations as in the, as in the Gentiles. But look what it's doing. The nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. The kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Now, how does a king, and let's, th- let's think about our earth now, 
And let's talk about not just kings, but, but uh, countries. Okay? How does a country get glory and honor in, in our world? What are some ways countries are honored or glorified? Military Their military power. Okay, The ability to, uh, the ability to uh, exert power. And the ba- what is the basis of all military power? Technology, innovation, uh, the, the ability to fund the military. The, every military is mostly uh, dependent on how much uh, su- how the supply chain. Okay? So the ability to produce things. The industry, the level of industry. How, do, how, how else does a country get glory and honor? What? Doing good for others. Doing good for others, yes. The degree to which they serve others. Is, is something that get, gains glory and honor. We typically don't g- give glory and honor to a country that uh, goes around uh, crushing other, other things. They get attention, but not glory and honor. Well, what other way do they get glory and honor? Athletics. Athletics, yes. You know, I, I have a South African friend that told me the reason why they really finally said we'll, we'll give up on apartheid is because they were so humiliated by being left out of international uh, athletic competitions. That, that's a really powerful force. That, and you see people go to these like World Cup matches and things like that. They lose their minds. Sometimes they actually kill each other over it. You know? uh, yeah, it's a big deal. What else? Anything else somebody think of? Artistic and scientific achievement. Artistic and scientific achievement. Okay. So... You know, we're just, we're just trying to take what we know and port it onto what we're being told here. But it seems to me we're being given some hint that all the things that we really care about, industry and achievement and connection and um, uh, rooting for each other is all still going to be there. And... Why would the kings bring their glory and honor into the city? Why would they do that? Cast it at the king's feet. Cast it at the king's feet? Okay, it could be because, because there's an opportunity for Jesus to, to say, hey, good job, maybe an additional uh, 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 recognition. That would be one way. What, what would be something else? You're going to kind of pay taxes. Pay taxes. <laughs> No, it says there's no more sorrow or pain. <laughs> you know, it could be because um, it's an opportunity for a big uh, gathering. You know, we, one of the reasons people like Olympics is because all the nations get together and they, and they celebrate, you know. It could be something like that. Um, it, it could be that it, it, it could be most anything. But you see, there's people apparently living outside the city that have access into the city. I, I don't know about you, that just gets me completely filed up, fired up. The idea, the old, the old heaven idea, the one, the mytho- mythological heaven idea, is the most awful sounding place. You know, I, I don't know, I, there's nothing left to know. I already know everything. That's a part of the mythology. Uh, so I don't need to think, therefore, I suppose. Uh, there's nothing to do. Except play harps, right? So once you kind of master the harp, you just kind of... And I'm going to sing all the time. Sing the hymns. So I sing the same hymns over and over. So if you think of the radio and after you've heard it 10,000 times, you know, you just keep on singing. It's like I call it Alzheimer's Clinic. You know, the eternal Alzheimer's Clinic. You just drool all the rest of your life. That just doesn't sound interesting to me. It's a lot better than living in a pizza oven. Okay, so so the altern- better than the alternative. But this is so much more robust than that mythology. I think the reason we were given that mythology is because it's consistent with Greek philosophy. In Greek philosophy, material is bad and spiritual is good. So material is bad, spiritual is good. And so therefore, whatever there is good forever must be spiritual somehow. It can't be material. Well, that's not biblical at all. Dean, were you going to say something earlier? Uh, yeah, you're just a, a nation word. Yes. Um, Ethnos? Yeah, well, they're using um, ethane. It's not... Ethane. It's just general all nations. General all nations. So you think it might include um, Hebrew nation as well. Okay, good. Um, verse 27. So the kings are going to bring their glory and honor into the city. 
The gates are open all the time, but there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And this little model idea I threw out, this is kind of where I get that from, because when I first looked at that, coming in with my kind of heavenly mythology idea, I thought, well, who's in the new earth that can go into the city and defile it? How's that possible? Who are those people? It implies that, doesn't it? And so, so in my model, and again, it's just a model, uh, that, that Ezekiel, um, what is it, 28, I think, um, passage when it says that Satan is, it was high and he'll be brought down and the nations will walk by and say, is that the man that destroyed so many things on the earth that we were afraid of? That little thing? I kind of get the sense that one of the things that will be outside that could go into the defile but won't be allowed to will be Satan. And he'll just be out there, you know, probably railing away somehow uh, about how it wasn't his fault or something. And you'll be able to walk by and go, too bad. Now, why won't he be able to go into the city? Perhaps it's because the Lamb's light is in the city. And only those that can stand walking into the sun goes in there. Maybe that's it. Doesn't tell us. I don't know why. Why it is? Well, it's also says that unclean things are barred because it says only the things written in the book of life. Only the things written in the book of life can go in. So it sounds like the gates are always open, but there's always somebody at the gates that would. So you know, perhaps it is can't stand the glory of God, or also the you know you can't stand it, and they won't let you in. Maybe there's an angel standing there, you know, whether seeing whether you have a name written on your head or not, your forehead. <laughs> Verse 22, chapter 22, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and the Lamb in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life which bore twelve fruits, each yielding its fruit every month. So there's still fruit to eat. Fruit of the Month Club. The leaves of the tree for the healing of the nations. So, they'll still be doctors, apparently. Uh, we, said, we were told there's no more sickness, and now we're told that there's uh, healing. I take from this that they'll still be... We will still be... We would be mortal if not for the provision of God. How about that? We're not going to heaven to be independent of God. We're not going to heaven, the new earth. See, I'm so ingrained with it, even I still say it. We're not going to live in the new earth uh, and be independent from God. And we're not going to live in the new earth and be God. We're not going to know everything. We're going to know increasingly how little we know of what there is to know, the more we know. That's what we're going to do. And eternity is just going to keep opening up and opening up and opening up. And we're going to still be dependent. But the reason there's no sickness is because everything's preemptively provided. Sickness is held preemptively. So, that's the way I take that. Uh, there'll be no more curse, but the throne of God and Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him, etc. Now, I'm going to end by telling you a story. Some of you heard this before. But um, one of the pictures I have of how awesome this is going to be is my trip I took to Mount McKinley. So they put you on this airplane, and Mount McKinley is 21,000 feet. And this airplane flies up to 12,000 feet. And it's, I, it's hard for You just have to be there. You, you need to do this someday if you can't. And uh, you're five miles from the mountain. It looks like you're right on top of it because it's so huge. You're 12,000 feet up. It looks like you're at the top. There's 8,000 feet more, but it doesn't look that high because it's so huge. And as we were, as we were uh, flying around this mountain, Terry said she saw on my face something was happening to me. I was being transported. I'm telling you, I was, it was a almost uh, vision for me. Because this giant mountain... And they had told us beforehand that, you know, some, like a thousand people a year climb it or something, ten will die, you know, on, the, on a typical basis. And I th- why in the world do people want to climb up on this thing? Well, I'm, I'm flying up on this mountain and this beautiful, majestic thing, and I thought, I want to be down there. I like this place. This is a cool place. I want to be on this mountain. The only problem is, what? And you don't like to be I don't cold. like to be cold, but I'm not going to go on this mountain because right now it's death. 
But it's life. Because the mountain's full of snow. And the snow melting and going into the rivers is what keeps us alive. That's how, that's how the water cycle works. Life comes from mountains. If you go up on the mountain, it brings death. But not in the new earth. Did you remember he said, I went up on a very high mountain and I saw the city coming down out of God? It could be the city's a mountain. With a 1,500 foot tall mountain with a 1,500 foot base. Maybe that's why he's up on the high mountain so he could see the thing. Otherwise he would have just been done then. And maybe it's the Mount McKinley type place which is only 4 miles tall. Not 1,500 miles tall. It blew me away at 4 miles. And maybe it's a mountain and instead of death being there, bringing life, The river comes from the throne of God. The water cycle starts right at God. And the sun is there. And we're being nourished by the sun. And we're in this mountain. It's awesome. Mountain climbers won't have to risk their lives to get the experience that they're after for just going up to the first story of this 150-story mountain. Which would be what? Mount... Uh, what is that mountain everybody climbs? Everest would be, yeah. Okay, It's going to be awesome. The new earth. What a phenomenal image that God's given us to look forward to. The point of Revelation is summed up in 22, um, 7, where he says, Behold, I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of this prophecy of this book. The overcomers will have a special role and a special dispensation in this new earth. And the book of Revelation is telling us whatever pain that we endure here is more than worth it to inherit that reward. Read, hear, do. That part we know. Most of the rest of it we're just trying to grapple with something too wonderful for us to understand. Thanks, God, for this fantastic little picture you gave us of this awesome opportunity in front of us. And I pray that what we'll do with it is love others now. Turn our cheek now. Love our enemies now. Speak the truth in love now. Uh, Be willing to engage in conflict that is in a way that honors you now. Um, have industry and serve our, with our gifts and our strengths to benefit others now because of these promises that you've given us. It's what's in our best interest and ultimately help us trust you now. Thanks, God. In Jesus' name, amen.